This is Sophia Chang, and thanks for pressing play for Undo Radio. Uh, today, we are talking with Rich Tu. Absolutely. Thanks, Sophia. I appreciate you. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like a it's like a podcast swap. It is a podcast swap. I was recently on Rich's podcast called yes. First Gen Burden. Yes. Um, Thank you for that. How, how, how did it do? It did really well, actually. I got a lot of great compliments. And I mean, I I take note mentally and emotionally of when people uh, reach out either through DM or just through email about about um, just, you know, feedback, commentary. And after yours, there was a spike in feedback and commentary. And um, Oh, boy, I hope that's good. <laughs> no, but it's it's always good. I, I think that what I was hearing after that was um, a lot of people um, coming onto the show for the first time. So thank you for bringing, like, a lot of your heat and your energy to that and, like, drawing yes. attention to it. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of, like, Google uh, Google hits for you that just kind of, like, led to, like, further listens. Um, but then a lot of people uh, were just reaching out about the, the positivity around uh, real conversation, especially conversation within the creative space with uh, with people such as yourself. So it, it was it was a, a great blessing to have you on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, just so our listeners know a little bit about First Gen Burden, which in and of itself, the title is amazing. Oh, thank you. Um, I have to credit Aziz Ansari on uh, Master of None because it was a swipe from him first. And then a shout out to my homegirl, Nastasia uh, from Portland, who kind of put me onto the name being put on. And then I was like, okay, well, yeah, that's a good call. Everybody put somebody on. Put exactly. something on. Exactly. What's it about? Uh, first Gen Burden is a conversation with immigrants and the children of immigrants. Um, and essentially, it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, reason to just have conversations with people that I'm interested in who also happen to uh, fit the bill of uh, being within uh, the, Im the immigrant lens, um, especially through the lens of America uh, in, you know, the current uh, climate. So uh, it's just a long form interview podcast. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's uh, serious. But overall, it's really about the, the individuals that come on. So uh, just check it out. First Generation Burden or FirstGenBurden.com. There's a lot of great uh, content on there. Awesome. I we'll didn't mean sure to throw to a plug it. in too early. No, that's the whole point of this. Actually, Undo, the whole point of Undo existing is Vasha and, I, and myself. Obviously, we <clears> have an interest in health and wellness really is, like I said before, is like an extension of necessity for right. ourselves to power our work habits. Right. Um, but the platform is really meant to share other stories, right. other people's stories, whether you're a trainer, you're creative. Um, and really, the podcast series that we started is just another media platform for, for us to share these stories. So we did a little bit of research and I was oh, looking shit. Well, I was looking at it before uh Can we curse on your podcast? Yeah. Oh great. Oh man, great. you're like the second person I asked today. Come on now. Oh, I know, but sometimes, you know. Some not everyone has the E rating. Um I was like I was reading a a, a few poll quotes that we had and one thing that I love is <laughs> I listen to Travis Scott when I run and I watch Brooklyn Nine Nine while I eat Adobo. <laughs> 
Like that shit is, is yeah. so fire. Like that whole composition, that entire composition of the sentence. Like we went to so many different places. Yes. But that's kind of your life. Yeah, that and is kind of like of my life. And which makes sense why you started First Gen Burden. Right, exactly. Well, I what I think I believe in is the intersection of not just people, people, places, and things, um, but also, you know, of uh, uh, food, television, music, like, um, I, my energy currently is uh, is one where I'm trying to be receptive to newness and receptive to everything so that um, like technically in for me, um, you know, a cat video um, and Adobo and also the Godfather <laughs> movie all exist in the same plane. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, that's interesting because th that we just went to a lot of different places, yeah. but it's all true to you. Right. It's all authentic to you in right. terms of that experience, which kind of sounds all over the place to people when you describe it. I think so. Right. Yeah. And how, like, how do you, obviously we've become self-aware of that, yes. right? Because I'm kind of in that similar boat <laughs> too. I, I sense your energy. Yes. Yes, exactly. We're kind of all in the place. Um, but how do you, I guess... How do you kind of package that for people to understand? It's almost like we have to use labels right. so people can understand us better or just describe your experience as well. And what's been kind of your journey in that? Uh, I think for me, like the, the, the continuum that I currently exist in is just basically rich too. You know what I mean? It's like you, like you're Sophia Chang and your continuum exists within your brand and your persona. And I think that fortunately I've been put into a space where as of late, like the, all those references and the eclectic nature of all the things that I'm into, can people can absorb that through the lens of like, oh, that's rich, you know? So like uh, it's, it's, it's all, the energy all kind of vibrates at a similar frequency. Um, I, th I think that um, people are at least fortunate uh, as of late from the past few years have been very receptive to, to the, the references that I bring to the table, so. Uh, before it was a bit of a challenge. I think, like in the beginning, <clears throat> in the beginning of like my career, and also the beginning of what uh, what I was trying to build for myself. You know, you're trying to think like I want to, I want to, uh, I want to only uh, work in uh, like for the New York Times, work for the New Yorker, work for uh, Business Week, and like those types of magazines. When I really wanted to be an editorial illustrator, I was like trying to be so legit back in the day, like you know, 15, like you know, 10 years ago. But then uh, over time, it was like. I was legit and then I wanted to like kind of mess it up with like, you know, like more personal projects and then just want to turn personal projects into legitness and then uh, and then it's all kind of rolled into itself. Yeah. Well, it's all it's all a journey to some type of legitness, I suppose. Right. Well, legitimacy. It's your. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not a word. Um, let's go back. <clears throat> yeah. Let's back do it. into time. And I'm trying to think of that song. <laughs> And were, I was gonna sing it a little bit. Oh, were you? That's actually what I was looking up. I was looking up. What's the were you were you looking up that Blackstreet reference? Yeah, Blackstreet <laughs> reference. So I can drop it. Okay, uh. so obviously we, we want to go back. Want to go back? Like I yeah, knew you as Rich Two, fucking yep. phenomenal illustrator. Oh, thank you. Obviously, you take on this role of um, what's oh, your title? VP of brand design Ooh. at MTV. I All know. right, dropping bombs. It's a it's a big title. Yeah, and it's amazing. I mean, obviously, you didn't start from there. It right. took a while. It did you take did, a while. You did uh, do a lot of illustrations in the editorial illustration industry yep. and yep. all of that yep. jazz. Went over to Nike for a minute. Yep, yep. For I the did. swoosh. I went to the swoosh. Met a couple folks that were in your network. Absolutely. Talked a lot of shit. <laughs> um, 
Everyone deserves it. So how did it like all start? Well, like what, what, I guess one main thing that I've been asking is like, what's that kind of beacon of light that's, that's kind of led you to all right. of these different opportunities, I, all these different hats, which hat store did you go to? <laughs> and I'm a ball guy. So I need hats because I'm, I sweat a lot. So I need something to be able to, you know, take care of these, um, these Boggles. moisture pores. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, for me, the, like the, the the common thread I think has been my uh, I'm a little bit of an impatient guy, and also I'm a little bit of uh, we went through like you know the like the nature of like uh, eclectic taste, uh, and also I'm uh, I've been I've been quitting my way to the top for like over a Sick. decade. That's it, awesome. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Well, I I'm trying to. That's the title of the podcast. Yeah, quitting my way to the top. Yep. Well, I, in the beginning, I remember like I was I was, you know, like so hungry for work and hungry for like the next thing, like whether it's a paycheck or whether it's a job or whether it's just some sort of like um, like validity in my creative space. And then, you know, that turns into, you know, someone taking you on and like trusting you in a managerial role. Well, actually, ooh, let me let me break it down the way it first started. OK, so. I was an editorial illustrator, editorial illustrator, freelance like, editorial <clears throat> illustrator, freelance editorial illustrator uh, around 2009, 2010. And I was very fortunate in that I had won a, a prestigious award called the Young Guns Award with the Art Directors Club. And uh, and uh, that kind of gave me a little bit of clout. And then I really wanted to become an art director specifically and because uh, I, I wanted a little bit more control and a little bit more autonomy and also the ability to work within campaigns and have um, like a bigger thought within the creative space. Which is an interesting transition because when you're an, ed uh, an editorial illust or illustrator sure. or, or graphic designer, obviously you're working with the art director and kind of manifesting their ideas. But it's it's one thing to take direction in another role to actually offer the direction yes so it's a it's actually a whole paradigm shift there that it, has to happen totally yeah that, no that's completely to true. give instruction not to be like can you just give it a little more zing and pop which is what <laughs> i hear from people all the time like oh do they really oh my gosh i just started following all these instagram uh design art director memes because of you know when they're like don't make it too vintage but let me show you a bunch of vintage references <laughs> don't make it i had a client that was like don't make it too juvenile but here are a bunch of cartoons that look like they're for children and i'm like what am i supposed to do with this yeah what are you gonna do with that yeah so how did you kind of make that shift for yourself uh well i'm i realize that i'm, a, I'm way too much of a social person to not unlike yourself, like a way too much of a social person to, to like too sit, chatty, too chatty, <laughs> way too fucking chatty, and uh, this is also like you know Twitter was really just popping off, and even then I'm not terribly active on Twitter, um, way more active on Instagram, but uh, yeah, like I I kind of wanted more control and also just to communicate with people in a more meaningful way in my day to day, so I answered a, an ad on Craigslist. <clears throat> Um, back in 2010, it, it was an agency that was new-ish, and then we were we were tasked with uh, pitching to Alcatel mobile phones. And Alcatel mobile phones was um, bringing a $99 Android handset to the United States at the time. So it was like, you know, let's let's do like a, mo a telecommunications company, um, and let's pitch them. And uh, it just so happened that because of my particular skill set. Uh, the the pitch skewed towards an illustrative style pitch, so we ended up winning it. 
And then we got like half a million dollars to do a year. And at the time I was like, whoa, that's so much money. Then I realized half a million dollars isn't really that much money. Not an advertising. No, no, hell no, hell no. So then we ended up, uh, we ended up getting a small space above a, uh, uh, above a recording studio by Union Square. And then, uh, and then they were like, hey, Rich, do you want to become our, our lead designer? And then the guy that also started it, uh, shout out to Rajan, um, he he also came from uh, Surface to Air. So you basically was able to find navigate and find yourself <clears throat> in kind of like a smaller group where yes. there was a need and you were the person that kind of had those skill sets. Therefore, totally. it kind of looked like the perfect fit for you to kind of shift into that position. A exactly. It was like it was the conduit. It was like the, the entryway. So the do you have designers drug. under you? Uh, yeah, you know? I helped build a team too. I helped uh, hired uh, designers, and then uh, you know worked worked there for a full year, like on on telecommunications, like a lot of B two B communication, and then also worked on um, North Face Nanamica, which is like the like, uh, oh, Nanamica. Nanamica, you gotta oh, pronounce it, really? it correctly. Oh yeah, shit, I don't think it's I've Japanese. Ever... I I've never actually heard anyone pronounce it into yeah, my Nanamika. ear. Nanamica. <laughs> Going back yeah. to common thread here. Yes. Did you ever answer that question? Oh, the common thread. Um, it was uh, about wanting control over and like more autonomy and more, more responsibility. Was okay, the but then thread? you end you ended up going to work at one of the top sportswear companies oh, oh, in the world. Oh yes. Okay. So. So how did that control freakness kind of <laughs> lead you there? Oh, because it was. Uh, I've always maintained it was it was doing more, having more variety in my life, and then also I did a lot of stuff for Slam Magazine for like years. Dope. So I was working with. Did you ball? No, I'm. See, I'm a terrible athlete. I'm a fucking horrible athlete. That's okay. I do a lot of illustration work for like sports, the sports category. Right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know what a lot of the the portrait, like the people are <laughs> when I do portraits of them. I'm like, I'm going to have to go on the ringer.com and right, right. see who this is. Exactly. So I was always more of like a streetwear fan and like kind of like a Nike fan in general because I was right. a, I was a, uh, a sneakerhead since like college. Like I was working at Borders Bookstore in, in New Jersey while I was still going to Rutgers University and I was buying like a pair a week. Um, at the only places that had SB accounts back in the day, like like Subculture. Shout out to Subculture in New Jersey. Shout out to uh, NJ Skate Shops. Shout out to Division East that used to be um, in on um, Bluefield Avenue, formerly from Verona. Like like I was always calling there, trying to you know find out where my uh, Gino Iannucci dunks were, and like also the Hulk dunks, like all that stuff. And then also like hitting up um, like all the malls basically and all the mom and pop shops before they got like blown out, like Sports Village on South Orange Avenue or something. It was. <clears throat> I was just buying too many sneakers, too many fucking sneakers. And Still then you stepped deeper into the belly of the beast. Oh, yeah. Like right to the source, to the source. And what was your title there? Um, I was a graphic designer, too, for footwear. It was kind of like a special role. There were only five people that did it in the whole company. It was kind of interesting. So like there, were, it's a company where there are like 700 designers. And then they're... Um, well, one, they bring you in and then, you know, the learning curve is crazy. The, the cultural curve is crazy. Um, but in the footwear org, it's the most competitive org that's in the entire company. Right. <clears throat> so there are graphic designers for like everything else. Um, but then in footwear, there's like there's one in young athletes, which was me, which is like a five billion dollar category. And then there were two in men's basketball. There was Eric Goto at the time. Shout out to Eric Goto, um, who's a G. 
uh, who's currently, a, I think, a design director for running, uh, running, um, uh, and uh, there was another graphic designer in, in global football and a couple of others whose names I'm unfortunately forgetting. But uh, it was, you know, you kind of just did your own thing. You pitched your pitched your stuff, and you worked very closely with with your business partners and the other uh, design partners. So it was, it was, it, it was, it was a really interesting role. Also, very political. So this entire time, when you were, you know, holding full time jobs, were yeah. you also doing freelance on the side as well? Kind of just doing stuff oh, for yeah. yourself. Oh, totally. Like even even the slam years, um, I was doing daytime stuff. I was like always at an agency. I remember like even through all those years, I was either at Dagonaut in the beginning where I was at, uh, AKA doing Broadway for the, during the day. I was at Bravo TV doing a rebrand for BravoTV.com. Uh, like I was doing like the double XL cover for uh freshman class 2015. I was, but during the day I was like, wow. you know, like agency world, even at, even at Nike, I was, uh, I remember I did this crazy project for the Hamilton musical and, and, uh, American express where we just like did the big experiential design thing where I'd wake up at like five in the morning, six in the morning, crank out two or three hours of work first thing and then go to work, work again. So do you naturally wake up at that time? Uh, I do. Or you kind of had to go out of your, like make an effort to to work those types of hours because you're kind of almost doing double work in a way. Totally, yeah. <laughs> so obviously a lot of people are always talking about this idea of balance, yes, right? So yes. with Undo, one thing we always try to do is kind of bridge that connection between an athlete's mentality of right. always pushing for more, <clears throat> working with your body and seeing where you progress. Right. Oh, let me so tell you at Nike, the athlete mentality there was intense. Mm -hmm. So intense. Like I remember going to work one day on a Friday morning, I had to fly out later that afternoon. So I went to the office a little bit early at 7 a.m. And then there are people like in the middle of a football scrimmage at 7 a.m. And I was like, wow, you go to work like with your clothes, like fully dressed to scrimmage. And then you just go and go shower and then work. Like, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, a lot of people do that. I guess they do. Maybe to me, like being being in a scrimmage It's called field. being annoying. <laughs> It's called being annoying and putting it on display for other people to feel like shit. And I, yeah, bet, they, I bet they pat themselves on the shoulders too. It's oh, disgusting. yeah. Oh, totally. But then they probably leave at like five o'clock on the dot. That's true. Yeah. So and you were sleep, saying. And then sleep at like nine. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, it's Oregon. Uh, okay. We were trying to kind of talk. What, what, what I was going to oh, lead balance. into is the idea of balance, right? Yes. So I was talking a little bit about Undo and our platform. And essentially what we aim to do is kind of translate the athlete's mentality back to powering our creative work or the work that we do right. from a job work perspective, but really bridging that distance between health and wellness and, and being a human. Um, well, for me, like, I think the, the athlete mentality, aside from the actual physical culture, cause I do love working out. And there was a time in my life when I really wanted to actually compete on stage. Like I was, I was like 20. Are you trying to be a bodybuilder? I was really trying to do that. All right. I, we see where the roots are. Yeah, from. totally. And that was back like going back to Rutgers days because I used to b-boy um, somewhat competitively in That's high school Filipino and college. Side. Mm -hmm. Very Filipino, super Filipino. Um, and then uh, and then I just wanted to put on some weight when I was done dancing. Um, and then um, in, in my current life right now, what I've realized, aside from the physicality of it and the regimentation, I think that's what the, my biggest takeaways. It's actually the the ability to know that you can have a bad game. Do you mm. know what I'm saying? Because like, yeah, yeah, because like that's a huge takeaway, huge takeaway, Yeah. because I think in the beginning, you're so precious and you're so um, into what your what your output is and you think that like everything's a life or death situation but you know over the years you just realize that you're gonna you're gonna catch some l's 
um, and then that's fine. And then just it's a really a game of percentages and making sure that um, whether if you're on the field, like before I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be I'm going to be the LeBron all the time. And then it's, you know, uh, you you naturally shift from that to um, I'm right now. I'm the I'm the coach or I'm the player coach or right now I'm some other I'm like I'm willing to be like, you know, like the towel boy sometimes um, just in order to make sure that it's it's OK to the the holistic uh, team vibe. So I, I've, I've kind of gone from like a solo athlete mentality into into what is the team dynamic and like how do we make sure that we're maintaining the culture of the group and you know gunning for the win but if we don't win that's okay too and what about your <clears throat> athletic background if any oh. so you did obviously weight training right or bodybuilding yep. i don't know what you would categorize that as um i would say it's weight training um did you do anything before then were you always athletic when you were younger yeah no i was actually like really chubby growing up I was, I was a, like a chubby Asian Filipino kid. And then I remember in high school, uh, we're kind of, we're digging deep into the well, Sophia. So if some tears come out, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I remember being, I remember thinking overtly over the summer, like I'm going to lose weight. And I was a junior uh, in high school. And then I, that summer I decided to just become a vegetarian. Um, and I, oh, but it was basically. I thought you were about to start crying. No, 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 like, no. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. No, no, no. I'm just laughing because this is so dumb now. I would never do this. Um, I just existed all on oatmeal and uh, uh, jello for a summer. I remember fainting on the way to the bathroom because I've always been like a really intense. Followed dude. a tapeworm too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I ran three miles this every is a night. Disclaimer: Please do not, listeners. Please do not do <clears> the rich two diet. <laughs> <laughs> totally well i've never actually told the story out loud and it was it was unhealthy i completely admit that but i lost 40 pounds in a summer and then i went from like chubby to like kind of ripped and i was like whoa and then um then i started picking up dancing and then it became like more of like a physical culture or a more educated culture because then it was a healthier way of living and also um i you know i i, I was it, it was a way for me to express myself um, artistically and creatively with like all my homies. So, so that turned into eventually like weight training. Um, and then like, you know, really wanted to dip into like, you know, the proper way to take care of my body and take care of myself. And then I became a personal trainer for, for a year. Yeah. Um, this was back in 2006 and that was, um, that was at the New York sports club actually. Looking for a place to take your friends that's fun, hip, and full of food? <laughs> Stop on by Canal Street Market. We're on Canal Street. Would you be comfortable talking about body image at all? Yeah, of course. Yeah, let's go for it. What do you think about that? And, and the reason why I thought about it was because you had mentioned the oh, yeah. sudden need for you to kind of, I'm sure you looked at yourself in the mirror at oh, some yeah. point and then like made this decision, which is amazing that you decided to make, uh, apply that action. Yes. But yes. was it kind of, um, was it triggered by, by something? Oh yeah. Oh, that's so Or just your thoughts on body image. No, yeah. that, I think that's fascinating. Um, I, I think, well, I think I definitely. Especially at that age. Yes. As well. Yes. Uh, I, I think when I was younger and, you know, I 
I wanted to feel the best about myself. And to be honest, I didn't feel so good about myself. And uh, was it physically or, or emotionally and mentally? I think it was physically. I think it was all of those things. And um, I know it's interesting that I, I don't really talk about this uh, that much. Like for me, we have tissues so you can't cry. What's that? <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, well, I'm, I believe me, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dry husk underneath the skin now. So the more the hydrated, moist skin. <laughs> well, you did have all that sugar, so yeah, there's all that hydration now from the boba tea. The I, I think that for now, like or at least at the time, rather, sorry, uh, at the time, I, I, I really want to take that action um, and and lose weight because I, yeah, I really didn't feel good about my body, and I think there were there was. Um, you know, it was probably good that I that I dropped some pounds, or I probably good that I brought up my cardiovascular health, and that I I really started becoming conscious about those things. But you know, it's it's funny when you got a bunch of cousins running around like who were just like you know, um, ripped Filipino dudes, <laughs> that uh, that and you just overtly don't feel like akin to them in that way. Um, and also like you know, there's little brother syndrome happening with that too. To be completely honest about it. So there was a bit of that body dysmorphia, I think, happening at that time. And then I think when I was really big in like my my muscle years, when I wanted to be really, really big. I feel like that's a huge term in that right. that field, that industry as well. Right. Body dysmorphia. Absolutely. Well, obviously, everyone <clears throat> walk, goes through their own journey when it comes to body image. Right. But body dysmorphia is so serious. Totally. It's it's insane, especially amongst like women. But I can't imagine what it's like for men, and especially in like the, the bodybuilding Right. Industry. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the time, like I got really obsessed with bodybuilding. Um, I was uh, really big into the Ronnie Coleman years of the IFBB. And like I was I, I loved Ronnie Coleman. I was really big into Dorian Yates for all bodybuilding freaks out there. Um, but I was like more into um, uh, more uh, uh, like classic uh, physiques like a Sean Ray or even like a Frank Zane where you, you could all you could just see lines and I wanted to at the height of like five seven uh, I wanted to be like 200 pounds but like kind of ripped ish right now I'm probably like 155 ish um, and then at the time I remember thinking like wow I was so I'm so small looking in the mirror anyway thinking like wow I'm so small I could I could get bigger here there and there's probably some photos on Facebook of me floating around where it's, I'm still like on the big side um and I was I was I had like great um uh, numbers in terms of I was doing uh doubles uh double deadlifts for uh 500 uh 500 a piece I could do wow. yeah I could do 40 I could do 405 406 um for for six straps with no straps and I had like a uh, like a 300 plus bench press and then uh i had like a, about a 400 pound squat and i was really trying to hit like over a thousand for for my personal numbers because i want to also enter like powerlifting competitions together um but then over the years i realized that a they don't give away awards for being the biggest dude in the office <laughs> you know uh and then also you have to eat all of that and uh, that that's a lifestyle that just wasn't sustainable for me, especially when I when I became more entrenched in my personal creativity, and I didn't want people to look at me and think, oh, there's Rich too, he's big as hell, and and creative second, you know. So now it's more about like maintaining like physical health and also mental health. Now you let your work speak for itself. Exactly. Yes. Awesome. So. We always talk about what's next for people, right? Right. That's like the cool thing to do. And I think it's, I think, 
I think from a I, uh, uh, an interviewee perspective, though, yeah, it also a lot of times every time you do a podcast or an interview, you're in a different state in terms of your career and right. you're mentally where you're at, emotionally, whatever, the whole nine. Um, but that question in terms of what's next also helps you shift into perspective, literally what's next for you and, and relying on your goals. Right. So what's next, Rich Two? Uh, what is next, Rich Two? What an existential question. Uh, right now, in the immediate, well, I'm preparing uh, season four, first generation burden, first gen burden. So I have three episodes in the tank. Also, shout out to Canal Street Radio and Listening Party. Um, I hope to maintain a relationship and to continue a great relationship with uh, uh, this fine establishment, this fine recording box that we're currently in. Um, so I it's hope lit. it's super lit, actually. Yes, literally. Uh, I'm hoping to launch that either by by mid July, uh, mid end July, and also um, trying to do a couple of live events too, potentially with the Society of Illustrators. Ooh. Yeah, um, and maybe AIGA again, uh, AIGA New York again with that. So hoping to do that, um, keep pushing that envelope and uh, pushing that needle. Um, and creatively, let's see, uh, maybe a couple of murals in my future. Of course, there's always the the MTV world, which is an ever-changing landscape. Um and uh, th that's always gives me a lot of excitement and a lot of, uh, you know, gives my thumbs a lot of exercise when I'm on the phone, for sure. So uh, in the immediate, though, I'm flying out to L.A. to your uh, current stomping grounds on Thursday and Friday for uh, to for a little uh, shoot for a show that I can't talk about. But it's uh, involves a very famous group of Italians <laughs> <laughs> that are all friends. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is in jail. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe we don't put that one up. Right, that's public knowledge. Um, okay, so how much sleep do you get regularly? Uh, usually uh, six to seven. Six to seven. Okay, so no more 5 a.m. 5 a.m. or... Call uh, time for for <laughs> freelance mean, design work. Oh no, podcast uh, podcast recordings, intro yeah, recordings. Yeah, exactly. Um, I usually like asleep by eleven, but awake by by six. So I guess like seven hours. Yeah. Seven What's hours. a habit you can't seem to kick? Ooh, um, I really love chocolate. I got a sweet tooth, and I always have a sweet tooth. If I if I smoke a little, do you have cavities? Uh, I do. Mm. I do, but I but I have to, oh, I grind my teeth too. So I have like I have that thing. I have to like I have to get fillers in in my uh, molars. Wow. In the back, I know. But when I get a little high too, I just buy Snickers. I'm just like I just turn into that kid. And where do you go when you need space? I like to I like to take sanity walks like for for the course of the day during a work day I will just exit and unfortunately unfortunately I I work in uh Times Square so I there's a lot of energy when I when I take a walk but at least I can kind of see people there's newness and it helps with the visual reset so I like to either walk around see people um or uh, or or really just you know kind of go to my my personal and mental hidey hole and just watch a bunch of YouTube videos. Cause you know, uh, Travis Scott floating and a huge Faust piece isn't good enough in your <laughs> office for, for creativity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, well now that office is the selfie office because of all of that stuff. So people, it becomes like a conduit for other people to, to have their little sanity walk. So I'm just like, Oh, I got to deal with your shit now. Cause you're taking a, a selfie in front of Faust. I did it too. <laughs> yeah, um, you did. <laughs> okay, last question. Yes. How do you undo ordinary? 
How do I un- how do I undo ordinary? And it uh, could be undo your ordinary, undo the ordinary that you tend to see around yourself. Right. Um. But yeah, that's the question. Uh, for me, uh, my, the way that I like to undo ordinary is to try to inject my personal energy into everything that I touch, mm-hmm. and I think that my my energy is not ordinary is is unordinary extraordinary i don't know what the opposite is but i think my 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 energy is disruptive in, in the very least <laughs> for good or worse so i i like to um, make sure that if, if i'm working on a project that um, i'm making meaningful impact so that's the way that i like to undo ordinary <laughs> all right thanks rich thanks sophia This episode of Undo Radio is presented in partnership with Listening Party. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market.